so much for, for this time together, Lord Jesus, for the time for us to intercede, for the privilege that is for us to pray. Lord God, I pray to Jesus again that this time together will be a will be a beautiful aroma to your natural Father God, that you answer our prayer, Lord Jesus. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we come together to listen from you again, Father God, to hear from you, Lord Jesus, what you have for us this day. Lord, I pray that we will be attentive to the to the leader of the Holy Spirit, Father God, that we will uh, be uh, the people of God, uh, to do the will of God, for the glory of God, Father God, that we will not only be hearers of the word, but that we will be doers, Father God. So we thank you for today. We worship you. We honor you. We glorify your name. We we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you continue to use us for your glory and for your kingdom, Father God. So we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's come and worship our King. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Father, we thank You, Lord. God, that You are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. God, that You are slow to anger. and Father, it is Your desire that none should perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You that You are a good God. Your Word says that You are for us and not against us. Each of us have faced many different things throughout this week, but God, You've seen us through and You've got us here today. Father, to to gather, to, to be in Your presence, to be among family, to be among fellowship, Lord. God, to be encouraged, to be edified, to be built up, to be reminded just how great You are, Lord. Oh God, I pray that we would continue to keep our eyes focused and fixed upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So Father, as we open your word, Holy Spirit, I, I thank you that you've been given to us, God in us, as our comforter, as our counselor, as our guide. So pour out afresh upon us today, God, I pray. Give us a a greater increase in thirst for Your Word, for righteousness, for Your name's sake, that ultimately, God, our lives would bring You glory and honor. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Application. Again, we're hearing this all year. But I pray that we're just not hearing it that we actually are doing it, that we are applying truth that we're hearing. Remember, application is a it's sustained work, sustained effort. It's hard work. It comes from the root word apply, which means to give one's full attention, to work hard. It, it's just not showing up and then walking out. It's just not opening up your Bible and then just closing it. It's just not tossing up prayers here and there or, or posting encouraging comments. No, it is a lifestyle. It is who you are to your becoming if you're in Christ. You see, the Word of God says that apart from Christ, we could do nothing. Jesus says you must abide in me. You must remain in me. That apart from me, you could do nothing. You see, this new life, it's all in Christ. He is the author. He is the finisher. He is the perfecter of what He's called us to. God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. We are, apart from Christ, a rebellious creature. Apart from Christ, we want to be God. We want to create gods that do for us. In that old nature, we do not want the true God. We stiff-arm Him. But God is so gracious because He knows that nature in us that He sent Jesus to free us from that nature. This is the Christian life, you all. It's just not about going to church. It's just not about being a part of a religious system. Like, do you know Jesus? Have you given your life? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? This is a Christian life. 
It's a life that is surrendered. It's a life, and as I've been encouraging us and reminding us, as the scripture tells us, that apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. And if you have not seen yourself as an enemy yet, then you will never know him truly for who he is. The Holy One. God, the creator of heaven and earth. And it's his desire that he would have a people from the beginning all the way for eternity (laughs) that would be his people and he will be their God. This is the hope of the Christian life. See, the Christian religion, if you would, is far different than any other religion out there. Every other religion makes you work towards God. But the Christian faith, God came and he did all the work. And it's through Christ that we now, if you're in Christ, have freedom from the power of sin and death because he's dealt with it. We are safe in Jesus. So to apply, and I keep encouraging us, the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is a degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment. Helping us. And if you've been here since January, you should be able to finish this line. Helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. It's ultimately the goal. You are to be, if you are a Christian, maturing. You should be able to discern between what is right and what is wrong. What is evil and what is good. You understand that the flesh and the spirit, they are warring against each other. Galatians very clearly tells us that. But that does not give you the right to continue to be enslaved to sin. Because you're no longer, sin is no longer your master. And so the understanding is, is that we have the freedom in Christ to know as he leads us, because he's never going to force you to do what is right. He will always prompt you. And it's by faith that we walk. And it's by faith that we begin to obey See, obedience should be coming forth from your life as you are applying God's truth. It's hard work. I can't say it enough. It's not easy. Your flesh is going to fight you every which way to keep you ignorant of who Christ is and all that he's done for you. Remember, your flesh wants nothing good for yourself. Oh, it wants to offer you everything that's created, and that seems fun. And you can feast off the created. You can give yourself over the, to the created. But remember, there's nothing that comes from the created except death. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But Christ, if you're a Christian, you're walking now by the Spirit. You're learning. You're applying truth. You're maybe at a different level than another Christian, and that's okay. 
The point is that we're all moving forward. The Christian walk is not a walk that we just take up camp or we start going backwards. No, the Christian progression is always forward. And so when the flesh rises up in and of ourselves, we can't deal with it. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have God's truth. Remember, temptation, as we heard last week, is always going to be there. But the good news is, is he makes a way out for it. So that's why we got to stop making excuses for it. And as we heard last week, when the Bible says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Stop making excuses for your anger. Stop making excuses for your lust. Stop making excuses for whatever you're doing that you ought to know is evil. It's wrong. That's not the way in which you should go any longer. This is the way in which you should go. And there's hope in Christ, so you don't have to beat yourself up and like, oh, look at me, I'm such a bad person. I can never do anything right. I, I can't be a good Christian. No, because then you're only looking at yourself. And that's the trap that the flesh sets for you. It wants you to focus on me, myself, and I. No, no, you look up. Because Jesus already knows. And so that's the hope that you can look up. And then as the Spirit of God is convicting you, like, hey, Rob, that's wrong. If I gave in to it, he's going to bring that conviction. But if temptation is there and I don't give in, then I have the victory in Christ. I don't have to feel bad because I'm tempted. Because temptation is out there. We're still a part of the world. And yet the good news as believer, the word of God says that we have been crucified to his cross and our interest in the world is no more, and I love the second part of it, and the world's interest in us is no more. And so I keep telling you about these realms. You have the ultimate realm, that spiritual realm, in which you cannot see. Ephesians is very clear. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities and air in the darkness. How did you deal with that this week? How, how was that a thought for you as you went about your day? Because it ought to be. See, you ought to be growing so that you can understand how to war. How to be able to stand upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. You also have this realm, the world system, which you have already dealt with because you are nailed to his cross. <laughs> and it's interesting you is no more. Oh, it may try to provoke, it may try to tempt, it may try to lure. But you look and you say, compared to Christ and all that I have in him... Why would I settle for this? And then you have the flesh that wants nothing more than to lead you to death quicker. It just wants to feast of all that is temporal. But Jesus says, no, you're not meant just for the temporalness of life. You're meant for the eternal. So walk by the Spirit. Learn to know what that means. It's hard work. Obedience is always going to cost you something. And trust me, when you walk in obedience to Christ, not everyone is going to applaud it. Not everyone's going to be excited for you. <laughs> because as they hated him, so they're going to hate us. We will look different than the others in this world. Because the others who are still lost, who aren't in Christ, they're living out of this nature that's in rebellion towards him. But that's why we're still here, so that we can be an example 
of what Christ does for one who would repent. And repentance is turning away from. It's not hanging out with it. It's turning away from. This is now, I don't act this way any longer. It's like we heard about on Friday and we've heard for quite some time here, you put on the new and you throw off the old. You start acting a different way. If you're a liar, stop lying. Start telling the truth. Start encouraging, edifying, building up. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Work hard and then give generously. You do the opposite of what your flesh is consumed by. If you're full of rage and anger, no, start being learning to what it means to be a person of peace who's slow to speak and slow to anger. There's a way in which we are called to live. And it's to honor Christ. And it's to begin to distinguish between that which is good and evil. It's a choice that we make. See, no one does this to us. I know we like to blame our mama and our daddies and this person and that person and this circumstance. But no, no, no. It's your choice. It's your choice. And you really can't come to deal with sin in your life until you realize it's my choice. It's not that I lost this or I don't have this or I can't pay this or I got this problem or that problem. No, no, no. It's how you choose to deal with them. It's how you choose. You can either choose life or death. But oh, how I pray that we're choosing life and we're learning to start making the right decisions. Though it's hard, though it feels uncomfortable. No, God, I want to be a person of, and this word that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, of integrity. You want to be a person of integrity. You don't want your choices to, 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 to scar you or to mar you, to, to, to break down what is right within you because of Christ. Like you want to maintain that wholeness. You want to maintain that peace. You want to maintain that which is complete because of Christ. Not because of you, but because of Christ. So the decisions I'm going to make today, the things that I'm going to do today, either I will be a person of integrity or I will be a hypocrite. (laughs) Jesus himself says, do you understand? We talked about this last year. The value of your soul. Do we understand the worth of our soul? Like we don't need to go chasing everything out there. Like we need to protecting what the essence of who we are. And this is how we should be raising up the youth. They're being bombarded. We're being bombarded left and right. I can't even imagine what it's like to be a kid nowadays. And everything that's being thrown at them, everything that's being just boom, boom, they're being bombarded. And they need to see adults, they need to see parents, grandparents, influencers, who who are standing upright, not condemning them, not beating them down, but telling them, listen, you're going the wrong way. Like there's a way in which you're called to live. And it's a way that honors Christ. See, we've made him out to be someone that he's not. That's why I keep trying to encourage you all. Like, don't learn your theology. Don't learn your knowledge of God from the world, from this realm, or from your very nature. That's why it's important that you understand Scripture. And that's why you're able to share Scripture. 
And that's why you should be able to sit down with the youth and, and pray with them and encourage them in Scripture. Let them see your flaws. Stop demanding of them when you don't even demand of yourself to live right. They see you double-minded and you think you want them to be of a sound mind. But you've created an environment that's hostile towards God. And yet they're being told that they're supposed to do right. But see, we're to be the example. Not perfect, but the example. Ultimately, Christ is the greater example. So just keep pointing the youth and pointing each other to Christ. We're called to hold each other accountable. And as I said last week, we are to judge only those that call themselves Christians, who are in the church, who say that they're Christians, then you're open up to be judged by the rest of us. We don't judge the world. We don't judge even the law sitting among us. Because they already stand condemned. And that's why Jesus came. Let us not forget that. Jesus, the word of God says that he came to save us. He didn't come to judge us. But people use that and twist that to make give us the license to keep doing whatever we want. But read the next scripture. Because the world already stands condemned. And that shows you the great mercy of God that he would send his one and only son to deliver us from ourselves. From ourselves. We deserved what Jesus took. But because of him, because of him, if you're in Christ, man, you're only going to fulfill, you're only going to feel the love of God, the embrace of God, the Father, at the end of your life. You're not going to feel the wrath of God for eternity. That constant over and over and over and over torment. You see, when we stand before God, God has already done everything. And oh, that glorious day that we will stand before him. Oh, how I pray that each of us would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Remember, we're to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. Go to Matthew 16. My goal is to drive us to the end of our time today and covering all that's been Laid out. Matthew 16 is where we're heading. Verses 13 through 18. And so I wanted to bring this portion of Scripture in front of us today. Because as I've been praying for us and just sensing what God is doing among us, I think we need to have this portion of Scripture like in front of us. And I would encourage you to go this week to pick up the notes and McCary sends them out rather on Facebook or your email. Sit down with it. Go back through these scriptures. And say, God, how is these scriptures speaking to me? Jesus. Jesus' words. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, 
Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. <laughs> then he asked them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Hear this, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Do you hear that? Jesus is ministering. He's going from town to town to town to town. His disciples are with him. And then he turns around and he asks him, who do people say that I am? And it's interesting, if you go out in our generation today and ask people, who, who, who is Jesus? You'll get all these answers. But then he turns and he looks at his disciples and he says, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You see, that answer to that question is going to impact your life. I mean, that's the foundation of the Christian faith. Who do you say Jesus is? Peter spoke up. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon of John. And listen to this, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. It reminds me of Paul. When Paul says, The gospel in which I preach, man did not teach me. But God was pleased to reveal himself to me. You see, this revelation of truly who Christ is, you can hear it from a, a teacher, from a pastor, over and over and over and over. And you can either even fool yourself into thinking that you truly know. Oh yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. Oh yeah, yeah. But you'll know that that answer is truly your answer, and it's just not the answer you heard from someone. Because your life would change. You want to know if you truly understand the answer to that question? Is your life changing? Because if it isn't, then all it is is just what you've heard. You haven't applied. Jesus tells, tells him, My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You couldn't have been taught this. And then he says, Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I would build my church. Now listen, there's some confusion about this portion of Scripture. But Jesus isn't saying he's building his church upon Peter. He's building his church upon what Peter answered, that truth. That Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Son of God. And upon that truth, 
Upon that truth and that truth alone, the gates of hell shall not prevail. And that's why it's so important that you understand Scripture. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, verse 9 through 10. Scripture says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Did we hear that? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. You are now in right standing with God. You're no longer an enemy. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. No longer doomed for judgment of eternal wrath, but saved with the hope of eternity with God the Father because of what Christ accomplished. And I've shared this with you all before, but here's the reality. Are we truly applying it? There's a lot of us and a lot of people out there in the earth today Again, who would say, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, He's the Lord. Yeah, He rose from the dead. I believe that. But the reality is really is not a belief. It's just something they've heard. It's not to it, it's a belief that it begins to really take root and begin to transform your life who understands what they're saying. If I'm saying Jesus is Lord, and I believe it with my heart that God raised Him from the dead, what am I believing? What am I confessing there? What what is my understanding of that? Well, we go to Romans 6, as we did last week. That the power of sin and death are broken. They're defeated. There is a newness of life that comes forth because when Jesus says, you must be born again and born again of the Spirit, it's a whole new way of living. It's a whole new way of life. You can't say, I believe in Jesus and that He rose from the dead and keep remaining an enemy towards Him. That's confusion. That's chaos. That's deception. Your eyes are still blinded by the enemy. The devil doesn't mind that you talk about Jesus. But truly start believing and start confessing. Truly get up each day and recognize yourself as one who has been saved. One who has been redeemed, purchased. You have no rights any longer to yourself. You understand, you begin to understand the workings of the flesh and the spirit. And you begin to say, no, no, wait a minute. 
Jesus is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. How does that change me? It is my belief, it's my confession. My confession. I will go to the grave holding on to that. And it will, it will impact my life. Because if it's truly my truth, then it's the truth that will set me what? Free. Why am I still shackled in my chains? Why am I still enslaved to sin? Why am I still demanding my rights? Or even saying, well, I don't need to take it to the extreme like the others do. They need that crutch. But I'm okay. I can get away with this and that and this and that and this and that. I can just be, keep being nasty. I can just be in whatever. But that really is not your belief then. If it's truly your belief, you know because God has revealed to you who Jesus is and why he had to come. And so why would you continue to live a life that's making a mockery of who he is and splashing his blood, blood, blood upon people as if there's nothing to it? No, you're to be a transformed person. You're to get up and live now and live in the abundance of life. Well, you don't know my circumstance. You don't know what's going on with me. You don't know blah, 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 blah. And I always keep telling you, it's okay that I don't know. And if you want to bring it out into the light, bring it out into the light. I would encourage you, the Bible tells you to. But you just saying that, you're not looking to Jesus. Because what your verbiage should change to is, I know what he's done. I know what he will do. I know that in the end where I'm going. And I know that all that I'm facing is only temporal. I know that I need to be a good steward of all that he's entrusted me with. I know I need to guard my heart. I I know I need to be mindful and remain alert at all times. You see, when scripture becomes your confidence because it's Christ revealed to you through it because he's the living word, you'll, you'll begin to transform. And you won't settle any longer for what was behind you. Because you would reckon yourself dead, but alive to Christ. Jesus looked and he said, who do they say that I am? Well, who do you say that I am? Because that truth right there, lest we forget the gates of hell. The gates of hell cannot prevail. And so we ought not to be living lives if we're saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. I confess that he's the son of God and he rose from the dead and we're flipping about it. Do we understand what we're carrying, the truth that has been exposed to us and what we're carrying now? And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so we really need to look at our lives and go, but boy, there's a lot of areas in my life that it sure does look like hell's gaining ground. And the reason why it's gaining ground is because we're not upholding that truth and that belief and that confession that we say is what we identify with now. Because you identify with it, it will transform you. It will. Again, I hated Jesus. I hated the church. I was so dark. 
I shouldn't even be standing up here. But I believe. I believed. There was a day that I came to faith like, God, I believe with everything within me. I believe this. I don't know how to live now. So God, you have to do it. I don't know. And then you just begin to hunger for the things of God. God is never stiff-arming you. God will never say, don't come in my presence anymore, or don't show up for church, or don't do... God would never lead you further from Him. (laughs) No, God is always, always, to the end, revealing Himself to us, to draw us closer and closer to Him. Not in of ourselves, but in Christ. In Christ. So I just want to encourage us in that this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Go throughout this week and think upon that. How are you answering that when the storms come a-raging? Rather they're on the outside or the storms that are within? (laughs) How does that affect your life? Your answer to that question. Having a true belief and a confession and understanding the weight of that and the call now to live as a child of God in our generation. Because again, I can't say it enough. We were purposed for today. If you're, you're all of us. But oh, how I pray that you're a Christian so that the works in which he placed in you when he placed you in your mother's womb can come forth. They can't come forth if you're bound by your flesh. Start living by the Spirit and watch your purpose come forth. Not because, again, anything for you, but all for Him. It's all for Him, for His glory. And that's why we must be about our Father's business. That's why when the Bible says that you must now live as Christ lived. This is the standard. Not because man has placed it, but because God has set it. And God has placed it. And he knows in and of ourselves, we would never, ever measure up to it. But in Christ, it's finished. If we're in Christ, there's a whole new life, y'all. It's a whole new way. Stop going back to the pig pen and getting dirty. Stop going back, walling around in it, touching it. It's kind of, let me touch it one more time. You know, stop taking your mind back to these thoughts that are holding you, holding you captive. You're a slave to all that's back here. And it's dictating your life. But the freedom that you can have in Christ. Like I'm no longer a victim. You you no longer have to be a victim. Like the victory that we have in Christ. And so that we can begin to start taking thoughts captive and bringing them under uh, in obedience underneath His Lordship. That we're hungering, we're desiring for the things of God. You can't conjure it up. He gives it to us freely. Here I am. Come follow me. He's not going to force us to be a disciple. (laughs) No. He tells us, consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. Everything. But in that, 
you'll find a greater treasure in Him. And the life in which you live now will be a life that is enriched and full. And you'll be able to stand no matter what the pressures are because your identity is in Christ. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So we'll throw out these scriptures. Hope you've heard them already this year. Let's hear them again. Again, these are scriptures to encourage you to apply. Just don't hear. Just don't say, oh, I believe. And then there's no action. (laughs) There's no transformation. No, you you can't say that. You have to be real. That's why even the Bible tells us (laughs) to, to, to work hard. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember I told you last week, even the demons tremble at God's word. And yet we touch things, we said things, we did things this week. Did you even tremble? But the lies that you spoke or the manipulation or the control or whatever you tried or whatever you gave yourself to. No, we're to be Christians. I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. And we're going to keep seeing it. So I said, God, give me strength. Because as the days continue towards his return, it's going to get crazier, quote unquote, in the church. Forget the world. The world is going to get crazier. But it's going to get crazier in the church. It's going to be an all out assault. Amped up like we've never seen it before. And it's already starting. But we're to be rooted in Christ. (laughs) We're the bride of Christ. Without spot and blemish. We're not schizophrenic running amok, sleeping with every other lover. No. We're the people of God. Doing the will of God for the glory of God. So application is vital. So listen to 2 Timothy here, verse, chapter 2, verse 15. Work hard. Who? You. So that you can present yourself to man. No, that's not what it says. You can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. And you say, well, that's the standard for a pastor. No, it's the standard for you. That's you. That's your life. Work hard. So you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. And don't get confused. The enemy will have nothing more than to bring confusion. I've got to work my salvation. I've got to work my salvation. No. Your salvation is secured in Christ if you're truly in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, then no. You have a false sense of salvation that in the end you will burn for eternity. (laughs) But if you truly are in Christ, and that belief and that confession is your truth, and it now dictates your steps and your thoughts, and you're growing and you're maturing, 
works are the fruit of salvation. Faith without works is dead. Where there's no faith, there's no obedience. Where there's no obedience, there's no God. I mean, I don't know about you if you really give thought to any of this. Oh, how I pray you do. But I sat there this week. I said, Lord Jesus, these Pharisees and these Sadducees from the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, and even today, even though we don't call them Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious, pompous, religious leaders. God, they study they're, they're, they, they, they pray for hours. They, they give and, and they just do. And, and yet, and yet, you yourself look at them and say, you're the children of the devil. <laughs> like what? I mean, they're doing all of these works. They're doing all of these works. And it's all motivated. So don't pat yourself on your back that you made at the church today. (laughs) Don't pat yourself on the back because you said a little prayer yesterday. (laughs) It has nothing about you patting yourself on the back. It's all for the glory of God. But you can celebrate what Christ is doing in your life because you begin to see the transformation in you. You're not, you're not killing yourself or denying yourself or suppressing, I should say, your feelings. No. You just learn that you're dead to this world and dead to the old, but alive to that which is new. I will learn how to live now. I will learn to do what is right. I will learn to honor God. I will learn to trust in God. You see, works come because of salvation. Because it took faith to believe. To believe. And to confess that he is the son of God. And that he rose from the dead. And I say that. And I believe that. And in that, I know that he will transform me. Because that's what he says. It has been his purpose from the beginning that he would reveal himself to people. But again, this realm here is quick. You're actively engaged in a war. I mean, the Bible says, if you're you're a Christian, remain alert, remain steadfast, open-eyed, not nervous and scared, But alert, because your enemy is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. That's why it says to dress for battle, put on the armor. And after you've done all you know to do, then quiver in your boots. No, it doesn't say that. It says then just stand. And stand therefore then. And how can I stand and stand therefore then? Because the truth in which I believe, the gates of hell shall not prevail.
So let him come and breathe down my neck. There's a table which has been prepared for me. My daddy is calling me to sit down. Be anxious for nothing, Rob. Come, dine with me. I don't know if you know your God. I don't know if you understand what you have access to. But this is what should be coming out of you. The confidence that you have in your Creator. The one who purposed you, the one who has called you as His own. (laughs) And He's not flipping about it. No. No. He's made a way. He's made a way. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message about Christ, about who? Christ. In all of its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And I'm going to move on to verse 17, Carrie, if you'll add that. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative. As a what? Representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Oh, that's for others. It's not for me because i got all these issues. I'm not, no. If you're a Christian, if, if you even read the whole chapter 3, it tells you the basically gives you the understanding of what it's about living a new life. That's how you're supposed to be living now as Christians. Living the new life. So as you're living it, let the message about who, not your past, not your abuse, not this, not that, not all the neglect and all this other junk. That, that is what you once identified with. Stop it. You say, well, you don't know how... No, do you, again, do you understand who's standing in front of you? I was a nut. My mind was all over the place. Full of insecurities and pain and hurt and anger. Why would God allow this? I remember the questions. I remember the anger. I remember as a kid being afraid of death and then getting angry at God. Going out to my backyard, pointing up to the night sky and saying, you can't blame me for this. I didn't create myself. You created me. And then you put me in the midst of all of this. And then you're going to hold me accountable. No, no, no. You're the issue. You see, craziness. I went from one religion to another. Selling my soul to the devil. Laying next to this guy. Saying, I give myself to Satan. God, if you would only deliver him from the hands of his uncles and father 
who have abused him his whole life. He's a shattered man. But God, would you bring them down? And if you do, I'm talking to God this way. I'm not going to say I would give my life to God. I will invoke the name of Satan. And I will serve him. What kind of craziness? Three days later, all of those men were arrested in Puerto Rico. Thrown into prison. For what they did. And that fueled my darkness days. It's when the law really came to head. Dark. So dark. So I don't take it for granted what you've gone through and where you've been. I know what it is to be abused mentally, physically, sexually, emotionally. I know what it is to be raped by the one who says they love me looks on. And the damage that it did to my soul. That used to rule me. That used to control me. I know what it is to be addicted to everything and anything. Just feasting off just junk. But all along, God said, He's mine. He's mine. And when he plucked me up, as he does with each of you, he cleanses you. Do you understand what it means now for, for my mind to be stable? To think upon Christ. To let the message of Christ in all of its richness fill my life. Do you understand the healing that comes? Do you understand what comes forth? And then we're to teach and to counsel, to encourage each other, to sing hymns and songs, to worship. And then to be a representative. Man could not have fixed all of this. <laughs> Only God could. Man cannot fix all of that out there. <laughs> Only a loving God can. When we humble ourselves to Him and say, God, here's my life. I'm sorry, God. For living as your enemy. But God, I thank you that you're so loving that you reveal yourself to me that I may live. I believe that you sent Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is your son, and that he rose from the dead. And in that, in that, as he rose, I will raise. And I can live a new life. Go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. 
verse 23 through 24. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And what is truth? Truth is Jesus. (laughs) He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. I said, Lord, I remember sitting on the beach years ago. I can't believe you love me. I can't even believe all this is real. What? Like a new day, a new dawning. My God, I feel like I'm going crazy, but it's okay. It's a good crazy. (laughs) It's like, oh my goodness. I I told you, if you read my early day journal, you would think, this guy's a freaking nut. But then when you read the end, you're like, what? (laughs) I I don't know if you journal. I don't know what you're doing. I hope you're doing something. Especially if you're saying you're believing and you're confessing. Like you're allowing God to bring forth what he has for your life. Well, I will if he pays my electric bill. Oh, I will if he'll do this for me. I will if he'll heal this. I will if he'll do this and this and this and this. And I won't move until I see it. Fool, I say to you. You're living as if there's no God. You're you're living and saying there is no God unless he does for you. Do you understand that's the idol? That's the created God that the enemy likes to give, that the world system likes to build up, and that your own flesh desires. God, if you do nothing else for me, you've done it all. I can rest in the assurance of salvation that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Do you understand the confidence in which you can walk in? Trust me, my life, Christian life, has been caca. (laughs) I mean, from the beginning phases of it, I said, who wants to live this way? Like, what kind of nonsense is this? But then when I started seeing, I'll never forget the Holy Spirit corrected me Discipline me. You act like I don't understand what's going on. You realize, son, it's going to get worse. So fix your eyes upon me and take them off of everyone else. It would do us good this week to look at Jesus and to fix our gaze upon him, you all. We're going to go into a time of communion before we finish our scriptures today but we do this in remembrance of him so as this prayer is going to be prayed i I would like for this prayer to be prayed over us and then norma i'll call you i would like for you to allow these words to kind of penetrate your heart hear the truth of god's word and the identity and who we are as believers and then as the worship song is being played to, to prepare our hearts to receive these elements that we do in remembrance of him, understand the significance of what we're doing. Of what we're doing. 
And if there's active sin in your life, if there's things that that you know you ought not to be doing and you're doing, would you just allow this time to be a time of repentance? And be let it be sincere before him. So Carrie, would you play that prayer and then I'll get the song ready. My name is Jim Caviezel, the actor who played Jesus in the movie The Passion of the Christ. That's a commercial. There you go. No matter who you are, regardless of where you were born or your current social status, there is something you're wrestling with. Now, it could be related to your health, your family, your finances. The point is, somewhere in your life, there's a struggle. And this is true for all people. People everywhere are wrestling with something. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, verse 15 to 18, opened up about his own struggles as he said, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. This struggle that Paul is speaking about is more spiritual than it is physical. This struggle is one with sin. And the Bible warns us, it tells us, that in this earthly body, the fight against sin will be constant. Galatians 5 verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Aside from the physical things that we may wrestle with, there is a clear conflict marked out in the Bible between the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit. What are the desires of the flesh? Well, the flesh desires to sin. And this is why you find that people have their own individual struggles against things like sexual immorality, anger and pride, strife and idolatry. These are all desires of the flesh. However, the spirit, the spirit desires to fellowship with God. The spirit desires to seek God. And the fact that the Bible says the desires of the flesh and the spirit are against each other, this then explains why it's a struggle for the majority of Christians to pray consistently and meditate on the word of God consistently. This is because the flesh is fighting your spirit. It's easier to watch a movie for a couple hours than it is to pray because That's what the flesh, your body, wants to do. However, should you try to pray and read the word of God 
instead of watching the television? Well, it's a struggle for most of us. But saints, my message to you is that we need to grow as believers. Yes, it's a fight to dedicate time to pray each day, but that is what is required of us if we are to go from glory to glory in the Lord. As a Christian, you get stronger by fighting. You strengthen your inner man whenever you fight to read God's word. There was a man named Smith Wigglesworth from England who was mightily used by God, a man of great faith. And he would always say, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than on the outside. He knew the value of strengthening your inner person. Now, let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, help us to grow. Help us to grow in boldness and courage. Help us to grow in knowledge and understanding when it comes to the things of God. Open our eyes so that we can see that we can never rely on our own willpower because we will fail. We cannot rely on our own motivation because we will fail. But we stand on your word, Lord Jesus. We will never fail. We will never be defeated. And so, Lord, our attitude today is to say less of me, Lord, and more of you. Father, we receive your word that says in Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. In you, Lord. We are able to overcome every struggle. Mm. Whatever oppresses us, mm. we give it to you. Yeah. Whatever tries to blind us and pull us backwards, God, we give it to you to hand. Dear Lord, we desire to live a life that is pure and pleasing to you. We desire to live a life whereby we aren't cycling in out of sin. Cleanse us, Master. I pray that the blood of Jesus Christ, that precious blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary for us, we pray that it would cleanse us from sin. You are a God who is generous in love. You are great in compassion. Father, hear our cry today. We want to be a people who live lives that please you. Lives that honor you and obey your word. And to do this, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can resist temptation. We hold on to your word in Psalm 103, 11 through 13, which says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love 
for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Empower us to have victory over sin, Lord. We are not slaves to unrighteousness, but to righteousness. Empower us to overcome daily this struggle of sin. Make us clean vessels ready to serve your kingdom, mighty God. We bless your precious name. For you are worthy to be praised, King Jesus. Thank you for listening to this prayer. Amen. From heaven's heart to the furthest heart, no sacrifice too great that you won't embrace. To reach the one was too weak to find you. Perfect love, too great to turn us away.
symbolizes the blood of Jesus so we hold it in our hands and we do as your word commands this do in remembrance of you as we take this father we acknowledge the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins as it says in Hebrews there must be a blood payment for sin so we thank you for that payment Jesus and may we honor you all the days of our life take the pill Amen. Amen. The attributes of God, we've started including this in our time together in hopes that you would come to know your God. <laughs> so the few attributes that we've heard already, God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never changes. And God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. Today we're hearing about God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Again, I would encourage you to get the notes. Go back and read through them concerning this, so that again you have a good understanding of who He is. It says in Psalms 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of His mouth. In Job 11, verse 7 through 11, it says, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? 
They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and confines you in prison and conveys a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceivers. And when he sees evil, does he not take note? Omnipotent means to have unlimited power. Omni equals all. Potent equals powerful. God is able and powerful to do anything he wills without any effort on his part. It's important to note the anything he wills part of that statement because God cannot do anything that is contradictory or contrary to his nature. Hebrews 6 verse 18 puts it like this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. In his devotional forward, Ron Moore puts it like this. God's attribute of omnipotence means that God is able to do all that he desires. When he plans something, it will come to pass. If he purposes something, it will happen. Nothing can prevent his plan. When his hand is stretched out to do something, no one can turn it back. Omnipotence comes from the two Latin words, Omni means all, and potence means powerful. God's decisions are always in line with his character. And he has all the power to do whatever he decides to do. Scripture is clear that God is strong and mighty. Nothing is too hard for him to accomplish. Often God is called almighty, describing him as the one who possesses all power and authority. In fact, Paul says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And a quote from Pastor John MacArthur, although such power might seem frightful, remember that God is good. He can do anything according to his infinite ability, but will do only those things that are consistent with himself. That's why he cannot lie, tolerate sin, or save impenitent sinners. God, you all. Oh, that we would come to know him. Oh, we're finally back at the Heidelberg Catechism. We moved on from the Ten Commandments. Now we're into the day, day 45. It's the part of the Lord's Prayer. Again, I've given you this catechism in hopes to equip you so that you're able to defend the faith. So here's some questions that potentially could be asked of you. Why do Christians need to pray? Well, here's the answer. Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. Again, all scriptures there in the answer for you. The next question, what is the kind of prayer that pleases God and that he listens to? Well, first, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God, revealed to us in his word, asking for everything God has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. 
Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayers because of Christ our Lord. That is what God promised us in his word. The next question, what did God command us to pray for? Answer, everything we need spiritually, physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. Well, the final question, well, what is this prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. Amen. Amen. The Heidelberg Catechism. Again, I would encourage you, grow in your faith, you all. The times that are upon the earth and the times that are coming, we need to be rooted, as the Bible says, in Christ. Again, the level of confidence that you can walk in. Not to be prideful or arrogant as if it's about, you know, it's all about Him. And that people around you will begin to see a change. Like you're different. Something's different. What is it? Oh, it's Jesus. It's, it's nothing of myself. It's Jesus. And when that's real to you, when that is really just so transparent and it, it really is real, people will take note. And again, to some you're going to be a sweet scent of life. <laughs> to others you're going to be the stench of death. Those who do not want to come to Christ. And it's okay. Because again, I told you, people have a right to live however they want. Not everyone's going to heaven. I mean, that's the reality. Not everyone is going to not everyone is going to come to Christ. I know we like to believe that. I know we like it makes us feel better, but that's a false god. People are lovers of themselves. And too many of them are going to go to the grave loving themselves, holding a form of religion, but I always deny the power of God. And for that, and for that, they will hear depart from me, you worker of sin. I never knew you. And it's not because he's a bad God. Oh, he's a bad God. Why does he send people to hell? He doesn't send people to hell. He gave forth his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. No, people choose to. People choose to see the truth. Go read Romans 1. No one's without excuse. Like he reveals himself to all creation. What have you done with the revelation that God has put before you? His Son Jesus, you all. So oh, how I pray that you would hunger even more, that you would take these notes. If you're able to join us on Wednesdays here or Zoom, get involved Friday nights, or if you can't, pair up with me, even if it's just for an hour a week, or every other week, or every month. Like you should be engaging to grow. Like I keep saying, we don't want to get to December and look back and say, well, I'm no different. And then you're going to play that weird game. I don't belong. I can't do it like everyone else. 
Come on. Do you understand? Like, he's given us all that we need, y'all. And we should be thanking him for that. Like, he could have left us in darkness. He could have. But it's his desire that we're not enslaved to shame and to guilt. Like, when that song was playing, it says, from the east from the, to the west, he remembers it no more. But do you understand what we gain in Christ? That then we can go forth and present to others who are in captivity that there is a way. There is a way. And I'm telling you all, there is such a huge spiritual awakening taking place upon the earth. It's huge. And we ought to be ready for this harvest. That's what the Bible says. Pray to the Lord of the harvest because the laborers are few. But the harvest is plentiful. Just get out there and start talking. Just get out there and start living. Respect others. You're not out there to beat them down. Just respect them. But you live. But in respecting them, ultimately respect your God that you don't cower down around them to make them feel comfortable. No, it's, it's who you are. And you'll live as such. Go to First Chronicles chapter 9, walking through scriptures. And again, we do this portion so that we can see him for truly who he is. These are the people of God being brought back out of bondage and being placed Back into the promised land, that which was promised to them. And they don't know their identity. There's no palace, there's no temple. But now we're back and we're being told we're the people of God. And so the chronicler, the one writing it out, is reminding them of the rich history and how great their God is. And he's specifically getting them to the lineage of David. Because remember, ultimately the Messiah is coming through. These are the people of God. And so it is in our day. People are being brought out of captivity. 28 years or so of my life, I was enslaved to darkness. I don't know what the length of time you were. I told you, everyone should have a testimony. They're not trying to outdo each other with testimonies. And you don't have to feel bad if you don't have a testimony that seems big. No, we all have a testimony. There had to come a time in your life where you're like, oh God, I'm an enemy. Oh God, forgive me. I tell people all the time when I'm hearing them, like, well, you know, I've been in church, I really haven't done anything wrong. I'm like, no, but... But you do realize at some point you, you had to recognize that you were an enemy of God, like you were a sinner. So whenever that day was for you, you ought to know. And I tell people who do know, who say, well, you know, there was a time I was sitting there in the pew and I heard the pastor preach and it was at that moment I was like, oh, wow. And I said, to me, that's the greatest testimony that you didn't go out and get polluted by the world. You didn't have to go through all the junk and the filth and everything. You just recognize your nature was against God. How beautiful is that? That he spared you (laughs) from having to endure. So again, we all have a testimony because we're 
overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Anyways, they're being reminded of who they are. And so I know, and I told you, I don't know if you ever read the book before, but it's, it's not one that most Christians pick up and read. But I have, I was telling this guy, Ron, at work, and he sent me some material, he goes, oh, you need to go read this. But anyways, I was like, Ron, I'm just falling in love with this book. Like, I've, never, I've read it before, I've gone through it before, and I'm like, oh, God, this is long, you know, and really, what is it doing? But now, like, I'm reading it now, I'm like, God, this is so beautiful. How did I not see this before? And so I pray that it does the same for you. But I'm not going to butcher all that those names, so I refuse to try to even. So, Carrie, would you play First Chronicles chapter 9 through chapter 9? Ten, so 14. all Israel was listed in the genealogical record in the, of the king of Israel. The returning exiles. The people of Judah were exiled to Babylon because they were unfaithful to the Lord. The first of the exiles to return their property in their former towns were priests, Levites, temple servants, and other Israelites. Some of the people from the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manette came and settled in Jerusalem. One family that returned was that of Uthai, son of Amihu, son of Omri, son of Imri, son of Bani, a descendant of Perez, son of Judah. Others returned from the Shilonite clan, including Asaiah, the oldest, and his sons. From the Zerahite clan, Jewel returned with his relatives. In all, 690 families from the tribe of Judah returned. From the tribe of Benjamin came Salu, son of Meshulam, son of Hodaviah, son of Hashanua, Ibnia, son of Jeroham, Elah, son of Uzai, son of Mithi, Meshulam, son of Shephatiah, son of Ruel, son of Ibnijah. These men were all leaders of clans, and they were listed in their genealogical records. In all 956 families from the tribe of Benjamin returned. The Returning Priests Among the priests who returned were Judea, Jehoiarib, Jachin, Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zach, son of Miraoth, son of Ahitob. Azariah was the chief officer of the house of God. Other returning priests were Adaiah, son of Jeroham, son of Asher, son of Milchijah, and Maaseah, son of Adiel, son of Jezurah, son of Meshulam, son of Meshilamith, son of Immer. In all, 1,760 priests returned. They were heads of clans and very able men. They were responsible for ministering at the house of God. The returning Levites. The Levites who returned were Shimeah, son of Hashem, son of Azrakim, son of Hashabiah, a descendant of Merari. Bakbakar, Harish, Galal, Mataniah, son of Micah, son of Zikri, son of Asaph, Obadiah, son of Shimeah, son of Galal, son of Jeduthun, and Barakiah, son of Asa, son of Elkanah, who lived in the area of Netophah. The gatekeepers who returned were Shalom, Akab, Talman, Ahiman, and their relatives. Shalom was the chief gatekeeper. Prior to this time, they were responsible for the king's gate on the east side. These men served as gatekeepers for the camps of the Levites. Shalom was the son of Kor, a descendant of Abiaseth from the clan of Korah. He and his relatives, the Korahites, were responsible for guarding the entrance to the sanctuary, just as their ancestors had guarded the tabernacle in the camp of the Lord. Phineas, son of Eleazar, had been in charge of the gatekeepers in earlier times, and the Lord had been with him. And later, Zechariah, son of Meshelamiah, was responsible for guarding the entrance to the tabernacle. In all, 
There were 212 gatekeepers in those days, and they were listed according to the genealogies in their villages. David and Samuel, the seer, had appointed their ancestors because they were reliable men. These gatekeepers and their descendants, by their divisions, were responsible for guarding the entrance to the house of the Lord. House was a tent. The gatekeepers were stationed on all four sides, east, west, north, and south. Their relatives in the villages came regularly to share their duties for seven-day periods. The four chief gatekeepers, all Levites, were trusted officials, for they were responsible for the rooms and treasuries at the house of God. They would spend the night around the house of God since it was their duty to guard it and to open the gates every morning. Some of the gatekeepers were assigned to care for the various articles used in worship. They checked them in and out to avoid any loss. Others were responsible for the furnishings, the items in the sanctuary, and the supplies, such as choice flour, wine, olive oil, frankincense, and spices. But it was the priests who blended the spices. Manathiah, a Levite, and the oldest son of Shalom the Korahite, was entrusted with baking the bread used in the offerings. And some members of the clan of Kohath were in charge of preparing the bread to be set on the table each Sabbath day. The musicians, all prominent Levites, lived at the temple. They were exempt from other responsibilities, since they were on duty at all hours. All these men lived in Jerusalem. They were the heads of Levite families and were listed as prominent leaders in their genealogical records. King Saul's Family Tree Jeiel, the father of Gibeon, lived in the town of Gibeon. His wife's name was Maacah, and his oldest son was named Abdon. Jeiel's other sons were Zer, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. Mikloth was the father of Shimeon. All these families lived near each other in Jerusalem. Ner was the father of Kish. Kish was the father of Saul. Saul was the father of Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. Jonathan was the father of Mirabbaal. Mirabbaal was the father of Micah. The sons of Micah were Pithon, Melech, Tariah, and Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Jada. Jada was the father of Alameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. Zimri was the father of Moza. Moza was the father of Binyeh. Binyeh's son was Rephaeh. Rephaeh's son was Eliasa. Eliasa's son was Azel. Azel had six sons, whose names were Ezrakam, Bokaru, Ishmael, Shiriah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azel. Chapter 10. The Death of King Saul. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. They grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him. Saul groaned to his armor-bearer, Take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to taunt and torture me. But his armor-bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Armor-bearer realized that Saul was dead. He fell on his own sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died there together, bringing his dynasty to an end. When all Israelite in the Jezreel Valley saw that their army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The next day, when the Philistines stripped the dead, found the bodies of Saul and his sons on Mount Gilboa. 
So they stripped off Saul's armor and cut off his head. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death before their idols and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of their gods, and they fastened his head to the temple of Dagon. But when everyone in Jabesh-Gilead heard about everything the Philistines had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors brought the bodies of Saul and his sons back to Jabesh. Then they buried their bones beneath the great tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command, and he even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. So the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. So important to know the history of our God, to know what he has purposed and planned from the beginning, to have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. This has been his purpose, and we've seen it woven throughout history. Remember, I keep telling you, the sin of Adam and Eve did not take God by surprise. He wasn't wringing his hands out, going, oh, what do we do now? No, no, no. The cross was always purposed. Jesus was coming. (laughs) But throughout the generation, God is revealing to his creation how just he is. He's a just God. He's a faithful God. Through this all, ultimately, as I've shared with you, Love has to be displayed to all creation. And no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And in return, that's what Jesus calls us to. And so these people are being reminded of their history, what it is to worship their God, what it is to be identified as God's people. And they're also understanding what it means to disobey God. So here's some notes. Verse 1 of chapter 9, mentioning the Babylonian captivity in passing as the chronicler does here, would serve to remind the book's earliest audience of the gross sin, idolatry, and apostasy that had led to the exile and destruction of the Jerusalem temple and the land of Judah. It was far more than a history lesson then. It was a powerful reminder that the current generation must live faithfully. And then verses 2 through 34 of chapter 9, the passages emphasizes the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, and other servants of God who officiated in and cared for the temple. This then is one of the places in which we can see that the chronicler has a definite theological or spiritual purpose for his work and wasn't merely compiling historical facts. He wanted the people to read their history from the divine perspective so they could bring all of life under the lordship of their great creator God. Similarly, God wants the church to comprehensively bring every area of life under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that his people live all of life the way that God intended. And then finally, chapter 10, verses 3 through 9, something to point out. The sad, pitiful end of Israel's first king provides a strong lesson for us and illustrates the difference between living for a kingdom agenda and living for a selfish personal agenda. Saul's life followed the path of convenience, regardless of God's word or priorities. Acts chapter 27 is where we're heading. We left off with Paul on the ship. It's been a few weeks. We're going to pick back up and see, see what happens 
to Paul and his companions as he's heading to Rome to stand for trial. So we're going to read chapter 27, verse 21 through 44, the rest of it. Here we go. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the, uh, the angel of God, to whom I belong, I love that, and to whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will certainly stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. So he tells these these men, you should have listened to me, but now that you didn't, I know God has a plan for my life. I see, Paul knew he had to get to Rome. And the angel of God reminded Paul, this is your purpose. And in this purpose, Paul, not only am I going to spare your life, I'm going to spare those that are with you. So he's encouraging them. But he lays out this understanding. I believe what God has said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Chapter, I mean, verse 27. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adira, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were all afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to be going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and soldiers, you, all, you will all die unless those sailors stay on board. So the soldiers cut the ropes of the lifeboat and let them drift away. Just as the day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke it off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut the anch- they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow, the bow of the ship struck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make it for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to the shore.
all-powerful God, you all. His plan and His purposes will come to pass. There may be other obstacles. There may be storms that may come up. But He'll use them ultimately for His glory. He was revealing Himself not only to Paul, but to these men, these companions of Paul. You know, And that's what He does because He's God. He's constantly revealing Himself to everyone so that everyone is without excuse when they stand before him. Go to Psalms 8. Oh, the book of Psalms to encourage us to look up. He's God, you all, and there's no one like him. Psalm 8. Ah, I love it. It's a psalm written by King David. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. This is our God, you all. Proverbs 18, verse 23 through 24. Back to a few nuggets. Here we go. Proverbs 18, 23 through 24. The poor plead for mercy. The rich answers with insults. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. That is the wisdom for today, you all. I want to end our time and recognizing our church, True Freedom Fellowship. 16 years yesterday was our anniversary. We've been gathering for 16 years. Unless you forget who we are, this is going to be caught in the notes for you to go back and realize, oh, this is my church family. You all should be able to encourage others. You should be inviting them. You should be able to answer questions. Because they say a house church. What's a house church? You should be able to answer questions of what you belong to, who you belong to ultimately, but the family that he's placed you in. Each of you belong. Each of you should be giving and doing and serving and, and, and being excited about fellowship. And the encouragement that we have, we have something very special, you all. And we shouldn't take it for granted. But what is our vision? If I went around the room and I said, what is the vision, Shay? Shay would say, well, Rob, we're called to encourage, edify, and equip the body of Christ in order to radically save souls to advance His kingdom. That's our vision. This is the vision that he gave us 16 years ago before. So who are we? He who the sun sets free is free indeed, John 8, 36. 
This is who we are. And if this is also on our webpage. If you're, if you're ever talking with people, you want to invite them, they want to know a little bit more about us, you can send them to the webpage so they can see. But who are we? Well, True Freedom Fellowship, a group of people who have chosen to die to themselves, pick up their cross, and to follow Christ daily. We are a full-functioning church within the body of Christ. We don't meet in a traditional building, but in a home. A living room, our living room is our sanctuary, and couches are our pews. The dining room is our fellowship hall, and our pastor can be found in an armchair instead of a pulpit. But our hearts are the same as millions of believers all over the world. A desire to serve at the pleasure of our King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Our mission field, family, neighbors, co-workers, our communities, to the ends of the earth. A group of people who have overcome the bondage of our past through the redemptive, freeing, and healing power of Jesus Christ. Being forgiven of much, forgiven of much and have the desire to see genuine freedom come to the captives of, shame, of sin and shame. Doing life together 24-7, a commitment, a lifestyle, a commitment to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and a commitment to each other. To encourage, to edify, and to build up the body of believers. Come, live this new life out loud for the world to hear. And then what are our core values? Love, unity, transparency, accountability, and growth. See, it has to start with love. It has to start with love. Because from love comes unity. And from unity comes transparency. Like I can share, I can open up. I know these people are going to be, be acceptable of me. They're not going to allow me to remain where I'm at, but they're not going to hold me to my past. So I can open up with what I'm struggling with, what I've identified with, what I have gone through. And I know I'm in a place that's unified and a place that's based on love. And then from there, from that transparency comes accountability. And whenever you're held accountable, you always grow. So that's why it's love, unity, transparency, accountability, and growth. And finally, some frequently asked questions. Since you all do not meet in a church building, does that mean you are angry at or bitter towards what is considered traditional church? No, not at all. Quite the opposite. We love the body of Christ, regardless of where and how they meet. We want to partner with and come alongside of all types of fellowships, those who meet in traditional church buildings and those who don't. The church is called to edify, equip, and build up the body of Christ so that the kingdom of God can advance. Question, how do you all approach the topic of tithing? Well, we believe that giving to the work of the Lord is a command from the Lord and very biblical. We're not classified as a nonprofit organization in the eyes of the government, so you won't, so you would not get any type of tax credit for a gift. We also do not have a formal collection time. It is left up to you and God as to how you would choose to give. We have missionaries and missions that we support and we encourage and what and we encourage you all to and welcome you to give to them. We also take up collections for various needs in the body or in the community as they come about. You are also welcome to give towards the weekly cost of our meeting times, i.e. food costs, etc. However you give, give out of the abundance or out of the obedience of a glad heart with a desire, again, to see the kingdom of God 
advance. And this month we're giving to Tania, a Christian woman who's battling cancer. Um, it's back around. She has it again, and they're getting a lot of treatment, but she's not able to work completely. And her insurance needs to be met. Payments need to be met. So that's who we're giving to this month. Jars are always sitting there. Whatever you feel comfortable as the Lord leads, because you should be a cheerful giver. Please don't give if you're not cheerful about it, <laughs> because all it is is just works, and it bases nothing. No, you want to be able to give. You want to be able to freely give. You've already prayed to the Lord. How then should we give? You want to give 10%? Fine, start there. That's great. You know? But if you need to give a little more, give a little more. Again, it's whatever the Lord places on your heart. Tithing is not meant to be something that weighs people down. No, you, you freely give. And you want to be a cheerful giver. Finally, are you affiliated with any specific denomination? No. We're not associated with any one denomination in particular. We do have a set of Bible-believing truths that we operate. And you can see those under our statement of faith. If you haven't read those, you should go and read those so you know what you're saying you're in agreement to. However, we're not considered a part of any one denomination. We are an evangelical body of believers who believe in the sovereignty of God and that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. It is our desire to extend fellowship to believers from all backgrounds, regardless of denomination, uniting under the truth of the gospel and God's redeeming and disciplining love. True Freedom Fellowship, you all. This is who we are. This is what we're called to. This is the God in whom we serve that has raised us up in this day and age to go forth and to tell others of how good of a God he is. I'm going to close this with this song of worship. And then I'll close this in prayer.